Want to do better? Then it's time to change the story. Welcome to our show about new visions currently transforming the world through the confluence of art, tech, and innovation. And now your hosts, Michael Ashley and Neil Sahota. Hey, welcome to another episode of Changing the Story. Yeah, I've got a double dose of excitement today because we have two fantastic guests. First, we have Dr. Lou Ann Boyd, who's an assistant professor of computer science and software engineering at the Chapman Fowler School of Engineering. Dr. Boyd's research interests center around design, development, and evaluation of novel technologies to increase accessibility. She's exploring new inclusive interaction designs to accommodate sensory impairments. We also have Dr. Art Blosser. He's a professor of peace studies and political science and has been at the Chapman faculty since 1981. Wow. He has received his PhD from Ohio State University and his JD from Southwestern University School of Law. His major area of emphasis is law, international relations, and comparative politics. And his research and teaching interests include disability studies, human rights, and international non-government organizations. Hey, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> excited to be here. Awesome. Well, as visionaries, what is the story that you would like to share with the world? Okay, I'll jump in. Uh, so uh, Dr. Blazer and I, as educators uh, in software engineering and peace studies, political sciences, are really obviously interested in the future because we teach students. And so as co-advisors of the disability studies minor and given our our research interests, we're really investing, invested in students understanding the critical choices that they need to make uh, so that we can create the alternative, alternative futures that we want to see in the world. Uh, we've got opportunity to have utopian or dystopian futures, and so we really are interested in bringing this awareness to policy and so that we have a more likely, a better outcome in terms of creating a, a more just future for everybody. Absolutely. So speaking of that, because we're very interested in this topic, how do we get away from a dystopian future? How do we get into more of a utopian future? Well, the question is dystopian for who, I think. That's kind of probably, um, and I think that's something Art and I have been watching a lot of the articles that have been coming out since COVID had started. We're seeing a lot of interaction and writing from disabled scholars and activists about uh, dystopian futures and or how now that everyone's in kind of this disabled situation as we're all kind of stuck at home and using technology and dependent on technology to connect, uh, we're kind of all having the same, having a shared experience with this COVID situation. The question becomes, when is it dystopian and, or who is it dystopian for? So I think, you know, this situation of moving us to online interaction has been really good for some people and in some situations and really problematic for others and um, I guess, at the end of the day, it comes out to be somewhere in between. And I think what we're really interested in is talking about both ends of that spectrum. When is it good? When is it bad? How do we think about um, making it good more often than bad? That, so, that's a really hard challenge to balance out. Um, you know, my work with the United Nations, because I always talk about like technology versus innovation and how do you balance that out? And, you know, as regulators or policymakers, you may not be close to the ground or fully understand the impacts to people. So how, how do we try and do this? How do we find that balance? I do it. We really been interested in the previous podcast that you've had this morning. We were listening 
to Fred Warner from ITU and had a lot of good thoughts and I think seeing progress within the United Nations slow, but Fred's the Millennium Development Goals, which you mentioned, didn't mention disability, sustainable disability goals, disability is being managed, so that's some form of progress. I know for me, one of the concerns over the years has actually was mentioned to the end. I started teaching an alternative growth futures course that I don't teach anymore. And at that time, with a lot of talk about the growth and the Club of Rome studies, which basically the conclusion was we're doomed, and actually every successive one indicated, well, some parts of the world may be doomed, but some parts aren't. And eventually, I remember their report, I told them to learning, which is beware AI, and the number of encouraging initiatives come in that if there are ways in which we plan and involve more people with this and trust, there's more possibilities out there. Yeah, I really like that you mentioned trust art because that's that's probably where it is. We have we've been talking you know, as Art said even just this morning about um, you know it's not a new idea, it's not a new story of getting disabled people to the table to help with design of interventions and design and policy, but also getting people to trust technology and to trust government. And that's well beyond the dis disabled com community, but that's somebody that's a group we really need to consider because the consequences of not considering that group can be lethal. And, and so and so that's why we really want to bring that edge case to people's attention that we have to really talk about getting voices to the table and thinking about as broadly as we can and and just knowing we're never going to be done that we got to keep asking and, and seeking more voices right we can't just say oh we've got 15 people that meet this box of people and now we're done so it's just knowing and acknowledging it's the work will, will never be done we have to keep trying Absolutely. So how, how do we, first of all, build more trust, as you were mentioning before, but how do we build it in such a way uh, that we get more voices? How do we become more inclusive as a society? I do my opinion is education is important and the role of a strong civil society is very important. And to some degree, I think a government thing is facilitate those things rather than engaging coercion is important. And we certainly see that in terms of how different countries reacted to COVID, that a number of these success stories in Asia involving civil society that could have been even better guessing it some examples, actually a lot of the information wasn't accessible to a lot of the people. Yeah, that was, 
there's so many good ideas in there, Art. I, we could unpack each one of them. <laughs> there's always okay, so much to talk about. And it, it, right, in terms of making information accessible to the masses to begin with, or even the edges, that people understand what's going on and understand in a, in a clear way, that's, that's a step, right? Uh, we, we don't even have that done well. I know there was issues in the news when COVID-19 first hit, uh, hit us that some of the news stations didn't necessarily have interpreters. And so people that weren't able to hear auditorially what was going on didn't have access to that information to know what's going on. So it's an oversight, but it's, you can see how it have really dire consequences. So having people always at the table and increasing the voices at the table, um, is one way to do it and that that would right off the bat help with making it obvious when information isn't accessible like you don't know until you run into the person that wasn't accessible for well we can do better than that it's, it's actually an interesting challenge and to kind of tie it back to something art was talking about earlier you know with, with fred and the united nations they they do this innovation factory where they have you know entrepreneurs from the world trying to solve local problems and usually they might have a global solution and during one of the recent pitch sessions, they actually had a company out of South Korea come on and they were actually talking about alert systems. Like if you're on a, a metro train or a, you know, like a subway or you're at a shopping mall and there's like an emergency announcement made and you can't hear or you, you have you know, impaired hearing, you may not actually know what's going on. You might see other people around you suddenly shuffling about. They actually created an app where they would actually, when these alerts were actually broadcast, would actually then send a text message or a text message and sign language, a sign language video to explain. So they're using AI in real time to explain what's happening for these people, right? And I, I was thinking like, this is like such an amazing idea. It never even dawned on me this is a problem, right? Apps, yeah. go ahead, Art. There's so many where places to go from there. That's so great. So you're bringing up a great point. Like, yes. I hear a lot of them. And think they're processing important interdisciplinary connections. And actually, one of the ways in which I really enjoy getting to know the when, because we're teaching it to draw to disability studies course. And that's but actually, I really had a number of interesting connections that actually a new faculty member coming this fall, but one of my colleagues is from South Korea, and actually sent her an email about some of the stories about South Korea. And she's supposed to get back to me, I know. At first, because she now her name, had to get a report into them. But certainly paying a lot of attention to issues and policies. And there just been an incident in a nightclub of resurgence of cases of COVID. But pretty sure from what she briefly said, that that South Korea had a number of things offered the rest of the world. Yeah, that, I mean, you're connecting policy to uh, bringing people to the table. It's not just bringing them to the table to come up with the solutions uh, and to come up with policies that 
impact solutions. Also, uh, something that we've talked about that goes beyond that is kind of testing those solutions. So mm -hmm. you, you had just said, Neil, like, that's a great idea. I never would have thought of that. And it's like, right, none of us would think of everything. So um, countries like Korea that are incorporating more voices into their designs or get, having better outcomes and, and not just incorporating the voices into design, there's also the, the, the development because that's where the AI piece and the stuff that's usually black boxed we can get into that, but also the evaluation of these technologies. Did we did we try it? Does it work? Do we have an app? we have an app that that's in sign language to let you know what's happening in the train station? Um, and that is fabulous. It's a great first step. But the next step is to say, does it work? What are the things that go wrong? And that's I think our, like Art is saying, our co-taught class has been is going to be fascinating because he brings this wealth of knowledge of global politics and from an engineering perspective, teaching the next generation of engineers to think of those questions is going to be paramount because we can, you know, there's so many things that can go wrong. And of course, we're not trying to be doomsdays. We want technology to do good. And to do that, it's going to be not only having people at the voice, voices there for design, but also for evaluation and making sure we're, we're testing these technologies and making sure they have the impact that we want. And then we can work around any problems that they might be causing. Right. I mean, it sounds also, it sounds like what you're talking about is thinking differently. And actually that's what Neil and I are working on our, our second book together. And you were very nice to uh, be interviewed for it. And I thought it'd be really interesting if you were to tell our, our audience the work that you're doing right now, especially when it comes to children, they're dealing with problems such as autism, because I think people aren't aware of what's of the possibilities for their children. Sure. Sure. That's, and that gets back to this idea of tech beings having so much potential to do so many great things and then and then making sure that potential actually comes to fruition by testing it with um, with users that are going to be impacted by it so my work right now is developing um, AR and VR systems that supports connectedness which is kind of ironic in this time of digital distancing or digital um, connection so I a lot of what's happening with autism is at the sensory level. And I think for, for decades, it's been assumed to be, assumed to be kind of a behavioral concern. And there are behaviors that are outcomes of that. But when you mediate people's sensory experience, and by that I mean if somebody uh, feels uncomfortable being face-to-face -face with people because there's so many sensory experiences that happen, we can see each other verbally and non-verbally. You know, we can hear people. You have body language you have to interpret. You have uh, smells you have to interpret. You have fears about germs at this place. Now, that, that's like now a much bigger concern, but it's, you know, tends to have been a concern for this population at times. Um, all of that can be mediated through technology. So we can put people in VR and they can have an immersive experience and they can t pick the qualities that are working for them and delete the things that are not working for them so that they can access the information and the social connection that, with other people. And so I think it's been such an aha for my own journey is because I was a therapist before going into human computer interaction and assistive technologies, I thought of kind of building and for people with disabilities as something therapeutic I can do. And, um, and then, then it was finding that it's not only therapeutic, but it's just a way of living. Like technology is, is a way that many disabled people live and, and now we all live. Uh, and then having to sell to parents the idea that tech is good for their kid. <laughs> like video games can be beneficial, like kind of that other side of it and looking at the different stakeholders that withhold technology from folks or, or, be, or our parents or paternalistic perhaps 
that they kind of hold back and uh, think they know what's good for somebody else and realizing, yeah, I can, I, we can serve people on this therapeutic level by mediating sensory experiences so people can access the world um, as well as think about how that's not just a clinical or therapeutic goal. That should be our goal anyway, making things accessible um, all the time and for the, for the greatest amount of people and all the people if that's possible. And I think meeting Art and collaborating with him and kind of taking it beyond kind of a isolated technical solution, like how do I help people connect and how do I mediate uh, sensory input and how do I manipulate sensory input so that it can be uh, comfortable for people to take in. That's kind of been my number one goal is if I can get people comfortable, I can get them to connect or I, you know, I can get them to, they're able to on their own. They have the tools. They just need kind of those barriers. So kind of being open-minded and, and ready to, to listen to like what users say about your tech, like, Hey, that was terrible is a really um, powerful position to be in. And Hey, I need more of this or this worked because of this, not the thing you thought it did. Um, and so that's been kind of my journey now is realizing how to make things accessible, not only, by mediating the way people take it in, but really listening to what, what people want and what, what would move things forward and be um, create a better future for people. I think that's incredibly powerful. And while it sounds, I'll call it straightforward, I've, I've just seen you know, in industry and even in academia sometimes, it's actually difficult to actually accomplish, right? We, we didn't kind of grow up with this mindset, right? To actually kind of step out, get that kind of feedback or look at things from different perspectives or, you know, from an accessibility standpoint. I mean, how, how do we kind of overcome this, this challenge and lay the foundation for future generations that they don't have the same kind of problems that, you know, we essentially do? I do, there is not a widespread skepticism among disabled people and some of its best lessons from experience of being told why well, you can do this, but in fact you couldn't if you didn't have an iPhone or access to technology. I think an important step that's taken place the centers for independent living, including the one that had to have an active assistive technology program. And actually, I didn't know this until last week. California is the only state in which assistive technology is the core service, and the other 59, it isn't. And Potentially encouraging saying, also as an organization in Oakland, the World Institute on Disability, that at least has begun to look into some of the issues of AI and both how it can be used positively and some of the potential negative consequences. Absolutely. So, um in terms of, of putting forth future positive visions, because this show is all about changing the story, could you tell us what you think, let's say it's five or 10 years from now, um, what does that look like if we have a more inclusive world, a world in which we are thinking about this kind of stuff and, and trying to uh, make it more inclusive and better for everybody else? What does that world look like to you in, in 10 to 15 years? 
for me, it's not reading headlines about um, disasters that happen from tech because right. <laughs> like uh, things that would have been preventable with just a little bit of user testing. I mean, maybe it's, it's you know, you, you, there's always going to be things we can't predict, but I think it's, it's the idea that we've been more thoughtful and we've been uh, more rigorous in terms of thinking about the impact our tech has on people. And like Art was just saying, making sure uh, tech is even accessible to the people that need it. Um, and there's, there's so many barriers. There's so many things that exist already that aren't connected. So it's, it's really making can those connections and making them thoughtfully and, and then never giving up, never really stopping trying to make things better because there's, it just seems like we're, it's not necessarily solvable. It's just we're going to keep getting better at it, I hope. Mm -hmm. I think a big factor is recognition of human differences and accepting that certain small group of the population that technological solutions just won't work that they'll be skeptical. Take education and bring down the cost of things like airplanes, computers makes a big difference and people using them more can be just in this short period that more people have been aligned for education that some people benefited a great deal, other people didn't. Yeah. That's actually a huge point, I think, in that we, we tend to take things for granted and what we have from a technological least infrastructure standpoint. Do we actually have laptops or tablets? Do we actually have high-speed internet? You know, you know, Michael and I also, we teach part-time. We're not full professors like you, both of you, but, you know, teaching during COVID-19 right now, we, we know that actually some of our students are having struggles because they can't exactly hop on a Zoom call. They don't have high-speed internet. They don't have some of these things. And so how do we, like, connect and engage and still make sure they have access to education? And, you know, this is, I know that we all think about this in terms of the pandemic, but we actually have problems just on an ongoing basis with so many different population sets. You know, I mean, one of my big things is like, how do we try and tackle that problem? Because it's an infrastructure problem and it's not easily solvable. Mm -hmm. I, I'm so glad you're bringing it up because right now with COVID-19, we have such an opportunity because everyone is in a boat. <laughs> we're not all in the same boat for sure, but we're all experiencing COVID-19 and um, Art and I have this saying that we keep going back to over and over again about this Chinese character for the word crisis. I'm sure it's an academic story that gets told a lot of different ways, but you know that this character itself is two separate characters. One means danger. You're smiling. It's such a tech reference. <laughs> uh, you know, danger and opportunity. And we were just re- we were researching that a little bit because um, it's like, really, is it an opportunity or is it an opportunity for resourcefulness? There's an article about really the translation was not opportunity, but resourcefulness. And so that's what we have now. We have tech that is expanding our potential. There's so much new functionality and it's going to just continue, especially with AI. And we just need to stay resourceful and making sure that we're applying it in ways that, um, that matter and have the impact that we're hoping. So we have this natural culture shift happening right now. Everyone is dealing in some way with technology. And so um, I think it's an opportune time to say, hey, this is a way to expand the way we think about it and think about the folks that we didn't before and not disabled or not disabled. It's, now it's a high-speed internet issue. So it, it, it's an everybody issue. And, and that's kind of what I love about 
this show and this opportunity to talk about like, wow, um, we've really got a way and a great time to think about how to do this thoughtfully and make it happen the way we want it to. You're right. It absolutely is an everybody issue. And speaking of that, so if other people want to learn more about your work, if they want to find out about the, the great stuff that you're doing, how can they get in touch with you? Um, they could probably email either one of us. My email is, uh, I'll just use my work email, lchapman at, uh, it's not lchapman, well, lboyd at chapman.edu. And arts is similar. Actually, my sister's place to spell that name. And keeps it bump with the desk. So B-L-A-S-E-R at chapman.edu. And actually enjoy it quite a bit when people ask about things that we're doing. Don't think it happens often enough that the separate way within society think it goes in both directions just crashed at people like the head and me. But also I think some faculty isolate themselves too much from the general public. Congratulate ourselves too much for what? So from the general public, for instance, that I mentioned but the board of this and for independent living, I'm hoping that you soon will be, but a lot of forms of involvement with people who are not necessarily themselves professional is very important. And I think just public education is really important. Podcasts like this and books that people pick up. Can even see with my son, he gets curious about something and beats about it. Well, thank you. Thank you for those kind words, Art. Well, thank you both for being on our show today. We're so grateful. Well, thank you. And actually looking forward to the new book. And I need to read the old one. And enjoyed the Forbes article a lot. Oh, thanks. Thank you. Well, thank you very much. Thank you, guys. This is great. Hey, if you like today's show, please remember to hit the like button and leave a comment. If you've been enjoying the Changing the Story podcast series, please subscribe and share it with your friends. Thank you.